Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week, a job listing from the JBRC Classifieds. Japan International Casting Agency is seeking energetic, dedicated, professional actors or whoever for a brand new variety of Gaikokujin casting. You may know us as Japan's largest purveyor of fake priests to the Japanese bridal industry, but due to the substantial reduction in the number of weddings being held during the pandemic, we've branched out into some new and exciting areas. Now casting for Fake Doctor, Scientist. Foreign actors appear as doctors or scientists in commercials all the time to lend an air of international authority to products that are expensive because of all the science involved. But now, we've found that we can market those same services to a small but active number of Japanese anti-maskers. Fake Tourist. For the Japanese right-wingers who want to tweet about how they saw you breaking your quarantine and claim that foreigners are behind the spread of COVID. Fake Olympic Athlete Work for the Japanese government and erode public opposition to letting athletes in by convincing people that they're already here. Please be aware that after being booked for these roles you may experience certain drawbacks, like not being allowed into your local supermarket. So, get in touch today. Sure, if you're a foreigner in the Japanese entertainment industry, some of these gigs might seem a little bit of a sellout move. But hey, that's never stopped you before. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And our guest this week is Alicia Ivalich. She's the host of English Class 101, an English language education channel that has more than 5 million subscribers. She's also the founder of Non-Native Creative, an interview series which features creatives working across borders and languages. And in her latest venture, the travel docuseries Elements of Japan, she became a household name for Japanese River Cruise fans everywhere when she rebranded Kotatsu on a Boat as Botatsu. Alicia, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. On this week's show, how has a year and a half of closed borders affected travel content produced in Japan? Has the pandemic created an opportunity for locally curated looks at Japan that might be more authentic? If so, why doesn't Alicia's show feature more rental families and murder hornets? We'll ask all of that and more. Plus, Ali's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, this week I'll be recommending the privacy-focused river cruise that was mentioned in Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference keynote this week. Bobby, we know more than most that when attending river cruises on the regular, it can cause havoc with your targeted ads on social media. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, after just my first few river cruises, every single website I visited wanted to feed me ads for discount cruise tickets and also uh, bulk purchases of hemorrhoid cream. Right. Yes. Well, um, the news just in is that iPhone users who upgrade to iOS 15 will now not be tracked on any river cruise unless they either expressly opt in or can't afford the $10 a month iCloud Plus subscription. Hmm. Also, Tokyo Disney is open for business, and guess what? They've announced plans to revamp the It's a Small World cruise in honor of the Tokyo Olympics. Renovation work will begin as soon as they find out which countries they'll need to remove. That story coming up soon, but first, Soap Talk. Brian, thanks for coming back. Just let us know if at any point you've got something that you'd like to add. Cool, 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 cool. Okay. Uh, Alicia, as we mentioned, you host a YouTube channel with over 5 million subscribers. So our question is, 
Uh, when are you going to box Floyd Mayweather? Um, I haven't been working on my boxing skills so much. I've been planning to get to it. Uh, we'll see. That's okay. Um, Neither did Jake I have Paul. no plans. Yeah, oh, I have no plans uh, at this time, but I will consider it for the future. <laughs> So uh, there's a bunch of things that we we're hoping to talk to you about today. Uh, one nice little bit of serendipity. We, we noticed that uh, you tweeted in support of Naomi Osaka's press conference decision last week. Um, mm -hmm. We also made a small reference to it in last week's show, but I think we were all on the same page that it was a fair and important decision on her part to take care of herself. I was wondering uh, what, what you thought about her decision and, and kind of like what it took to, to make that decision. Yeah, I thought that... Um... Her choice to step down from the tournament was good for her, but it also, I thought, was a, a particularly important moment because she was, um, in her statement, in the statement that she released on Twitter, she showed all of the steps that she had taken in an effort to reach a compromise, was unable to reach a compromise, and uh, made a decision ultimately um, by establishing boundaries for herself and uh, choosing something above her work. Uh, and I thought that that was a really good example of someone making all of the um, necessary uh, or rather taking all of the necessary steps to try to, to, to reach a compromise before uh, taking ultimately uh, that step of removing herself. So I thought that it was really good to see somebody doing that on an international stage and not just kind of bowing to, to pressure or continuing to put herself in a situation where she felt uncomfortable. Mm. So I thought it was good. Yeah. And it's nice that she did something decisive and call out the fact that so many of the sponsors which adorn her t-shirts and whatnot will, whenever a mental health issue comes up, will tweet out the platitudes and say that it's important to do what we can. But when she says, actually, I'm I'm really fed up with this and I, and I don't want to do it and I'm going to feel sad if I do it, uh, then there's still sufficient pressure to go, no, no, it's your job. Yeah. It's your job. You're, the job of a tennis player is you've got to talk at 11 p.m., and answer questions from people that want you to have a breakdown. Well, and so I, 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 don't, I don't think it's necessarily the start of a sea change yet. But I mean, she's she already had so much of our respect, and now she has considerably more. I think mm. one of the things that was really interesting was how it highlighted kind of what is the value of these press conferences and the answers that come out of these press conferences now, and how the quality of the questions and the quality of the journalism that comes out of them has kind of declined to clickbaity kind of lowest common denominator and even even like you know more focused on on the personal than the actual uh content of of the sport or the matches and in the past i saw somebody kind of really lay it out in, in, in an interesting way where they said in the past this was the outlet this was the way for athletes to get information out to the public and now they have a direct line now everybody has social media where they have a direct line of contact to relay that information. And while I really appreciated that point, it also made me think of the same thing that people said about Trump when it was, you know, why, why does Trump spurn press conferences? Why does he get so antagonistic with the media? It was because he didn't need the relationship with them. It was because he could contact his followers directly. And so it's really interesting to me the way kind of social media has changed the media landscape in every field. Yeah, uh, and also I was not expecting this episode to feature a conflation of Donald Trump and Naomi Osaka, but I'm glad we've done hey, it. Hey, 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 don't, don't, that's not, was not my intention. <laughs> uh, but but I, I think you're absolutely right. And just like Trump was more than a politician, he was a personality. 
obviously one of the reasons why why this is is a matter of tension is that we expect sports players to be more than sports players they are sports personalities and obviously part of the reason why the, there's the amount of money that there is is not just because they play great games but because they provide entertaining stories yeah and people can can make money from that i noticed uh there was a story that just got released earlier today that she pulled out of the berlin tournament as well ahead of wimbledon and i'm just kind of hoping that that you know the break that she's taking is good for her mental health and and that you know the decision to take care of herself pays off and that it doesn't turn into something that's uh, ultimately more more damaging than good hope she's okay alicia i had some good news which is that i've now booked in for my vaccination congratulations thank you how do you feel as an american who pays their tax dollars to america but is in japan and cannot get her jab i'm just hanging out what else can i do <laughs> You know, have you seen that the pressure's mounting, uh, but from American citizens to to the country, saying we, we think that spare vaccines should be sent to to Americans around the world? Oh, I yes, I mean, well, I see the I see kind of the um, the comments on social media, especially among um, Americans who are living in Japan, for sure. But I've seen lots, I've seen people that are going to the U.S. to get vaccinated and then coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I guess if you have the the ability to make that work for you, it seems like a pretty a pretty good option. Um, that I guess for me, I'm just like I really would like to have it sooner rather than later, obviously. But until then, my options are to be real mad or to hang out. So I've chosen to hang out. <laughs> so yeah, oh, personal choice. I'm chilling, just waiting. So this is my this is my approach generally. Yeah, well, I think we'd all be happier if we were like that. Yeah, Bobby, you're not planning a vaccination. Uh, I can't. I'm not in a position where I could afford the time off of work uh, for the the quarantine I would have to go through on my way back in, or or the the time I'd lose from being away. Um, but luckily, I got my antibodies the old fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> did you really? I did. I totally. We've we've discussed it on other episodes. So I won't go through it again. But yeah, no. Um, uh, my whole family, we we got them. I don't, I, you're here and you're not saying any of this with a sad tone of voice, so I will say congratulations. We're, we're on the other <laughs> side. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And when that happened, our listeners were very, very nice to us. Uh, and so we, we should take this opportunity to thank those that have been nice to us this week. Oleg has bought us another five coffees. Thank you very much. And also Claire has bought us, yes, another coffee. Uh, and messaged us to say that she'd like to hear an episode about lesbian culture in Japan. Yeah. And has given us some fantastic suggestions for people to reach out to. We always appreciate people sending in suggestions for guests. We can't always guarantee that they're going to be a fit. When Ali says we can't guarantee they'll be a fit, he, he says we can't guarantee they'll say yes to us. Yeah, exactly. We can't <laughs> guarantee that they won't listen to the first 10 minutes of any show and politely decline. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, if you can think of someone that you'd like to hear on the show. We are always more than happy to hear from them. We will definitely reach out to them. And thank you, Claire, for all of the great suggestions. Bobby, with that, shall we jump into the news? Bobby Judo, what's in the news this week? Handful of stories out this week about when tourism to Japan will be possible again. Uh, the Japan Times has a story about the future of tourism in Japan. The uh, country's official tourism page has been completely redone to focus on safe travel, local travel, and COVID prevention. Um, 
everybody's wondering about the future of travel in Japan. And the fact that the borders have been closed for over a year and a half now has really affected travel content being produced in Japan. Uh, among that backdrop, Alicia and her partner Erwin have started a new series called Elements of Japan, which is an original Japan travel docuseries. Uh, Alicia, we're really looking forward to talking to you about your first episode in Iwate and the future of the series. Um, first off, what's it like to produce travel content during a pandemic? Mm, it's an interesting question for sure, because there are so many variables to consider that you wouldn't maybe have to consider as much. Uh, in a normal time. Mm. Uh, but the choices that we've made so far with the series um, have been largely, I would say, unaffected by the pandemic in Japan, or at least we try to make choices and make our schedules work according to the rules that are established by the you know local and national governments. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not trying to put anybody at risk, <laughs> like, or like find any, um, kind of like, we're not, we're not basically, we're trying to ensure that, uh, we film the content in an educational and responsible way. Uh, so for that means, for example, that we do shoots, uh, outside, like one-on-one -on -one. we're wearing masks, uh, when we do the interviews mm. with the people that we're talking to. And like, we, we clarify beforehand, um, you know, what, um, what kinds of things we would, we would like to talk to people about, uh, how long the contact is going to be. Uh, and then also, um, my teammate, uh, Erwin and I, we were both pretty, I think, uh, happy to follow the rules, <laughs> the, uh, the social distance and the isolation related rules too. So, uh, we are making sure that we're taking the, local people mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in mind, keeping them in our mind and trying to make the best choices that we possibly can while also um, trying to uh, use this time that is available to uh, showcase maybe aspects of Japan that we might not otherwise be able to to include. Well, we were very pleased to note that in your first episode, in the first 90 seconds, there is a glorious shot of a river cruise. So we understand that you are trying to trample on our market and that's absolutely fine <laughs> it, it's 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 lucrative and big enough for, for all of us but uh one thing that that struck me about your videos is they're very very cinematic they're very beautiful oh yeah gorgeous and the level of production quality is absolutely insane and you're obviously thinking first and foremost about the kind of visual narrative and storytelling in addition to the kind of the more documentary elements and that must be a really, really hard balance to strike because they're kind of two different genres, aren't they? The the kind of classic documentary, which is full of facts and just the sit back, relax and enjoy the beautiful scenery. What kind of audience are you anticipating for the series? Mm, there are actually a number of kind of things that we wanted to um, sort of push ourselves to do with this. One, as you mentioned, is obviously the camera work. That's Irwin, Irwin has amazing gear and he's he has a wealth of experience as a photographer and he's you know moving his skill set into video as well too i mean let's be clear it's not just the gear is it he's clearly very talented yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely I, I know he likes to talk about uh you know getting this gear or that gear being really greedy with like finding weird new cool cameras to experiment with but i think that that kind of um interest and that enthusiasm really comes through in his work mm. uh, and that's what helps get some of the the shots that you see in the series 
So there is that part of it, uh, sure. But in terms of uh, your question about who um, our audience is and who we're trying to attract, um, there are a couple. One is the um, p- people who are already enthusiastic about Japan, mm. obviously. Uh, and we also, but we would also really like to be creating content that presents Japan in a slightly different way than perhaps it has been presented on YouTube in the past, by which we mean that we're trying, we're really making an active effort to create bilingual content. And one of the things that we really set out uh, in our kind of outline for the project when we were brainstorming is we really, really wanted to make sure that the voices that are included in the series are literally local voices. So that, that it's not just me, a white girl, presenting everything <laughs> to uh, an audience uh, and everything gets filtered through me, but rather uh, you become familiar with me as a kind of anchor for this series. And then I go and talk to people and they are the ones that are telling us uh, about uh, local information or local history uh, whatever that might be. Mm. So we really wanted to showcase, um, of course, beautiful scenery and history and craft and so many other topics. We really wanted to put the focus on local people's perspectives mm. and not kind of trying to put everything through our own lens. Uh, we didn't want to to do that because both Erwin and I kind of feel that there's already too much of that on YouTube. So yeah. with our... F- prototype episode we're trying to kind of find the line between like documentary style and the little bit of like the youtube uh like kind of casualness i mm. suppose so we're, we're we're finding that right now i i think that's a real clear kind of uh elucidation of how you stack up against other youtube content um but the last year and a half production companies from overseas that would be coming in making Japan travel content haven't been able to come in. Even even places that do a lot of outward facing Japan travel content like NHK World hasn't been able to travel around Japan and produce new content. Uh, the show that I do, Cycle Around Japan, hasn't done any new shoots in a long time. They just keep kind of re-editing and putting up like a highlight. It's, it's at the point where it's it's not Cycle Around Japan, it's more like recycle content around Japan. But um, thank, you, Bobby. thank you very much. But the question that I wanted to ask um, was, I see what sets you apart from kind of mainstream YouTube Japan content. Where do you see you guys doing something different from documentary Japan content or, or you know, overseas produced Japan content? Uh, I would say going back to the point about not having the host as the expert i i'm kind of Mm. uh in in content that i've seen where someone comes from outside japan and gets plopped into japan and it's like the the travel host for a series they are often a person that maybe doesn't have a great deal of expertise Mm. or they're kind of there to be like the bewildered foreigner and kind of do all of the basic things so we wanted to explore what you could do if you took a person or a team in this case a small team that actually lives in Japan and has these experiences, has kind of the cultural background, the linguistic background, to be able to ask questions and understand uh, the ways that things are done or the ways that people interact a little bit better and present that to um, an audience in a different way. So we didn't Mm -hmm. want it to be like bumbling foreigner comes to Japan and eats a bunch of sushi any we were tired of that yeah um it's the exact opposite with japan produced content about about foreign countries as well because when i was working for um sakai fushigi hakken as the mystery hunter the only time that i could get a job is when they were going to be filming something in japan 
And the reason they would never use me for content where they were introducing foreign countries is because what they want is that Japanese person's reaction. When they go to a foreign country and they go, whoa, what is this? Nanja Korea. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, me going to somewhere in America and being like, yeah, that, yeah, this is, this is what we do. Right? So yeah. that's another to go like, to go even deeper then, that's another audience that we actually do hope to reach and already have reached is Japanese viewers who would like to see their country and their culture in a different way or in a different mm. interpretation. Because when you watch variety yes. shows about Japan, and exactly as you've just described, Bobby, when you watch those variety shows, it's all about like this kind of weird reaction or it's all got to be kind of silly. Extreme, so we're kind of trying yeah. to explore. Yeah, exactly. We're kind of trying to explore what if we took a really serious kind of cinematic approach to this whole experience we make it very serious but we also have fun with it uh so what kind of response can we get from that because i think that if we continue to do exactly the same thing that we've always done in all media forms then we don't really ever learn or grow and that's kind of boring Mm. it is interesting that with your partner's skills and with your background you can produce something that is on par with broadcast television and when i think to the uk the the last three kind of big travel documentaries in Japan that were made were with Joanna Lumley, James May, uh, Sue Perkins. Uh, I think there are there are another couple from from that kind of genre, which is a very very famous face that, as you said, knows nothing mm-hmm. about Japan but goes there. Look, they're perfectly respectful and they say very polite things. But for someone like me who uh, you know who has lived in the country and does speak the language and knows it, I find it a really frustrating watch. Because I think, well, if I were there as their fixer, she she wouldn't have said that, or they wouldn't have gone there. And you compare that to someone like Chris Broad, who did his own travel show around Japan. And there's enough of that, of, you know, people like Chris Broad because he's got a good on-screen persona and he's likable and interesting for the same reason they like Joanna Lumley or, or whoever else. But he offers this extra kind of sensitivity and, in, and insight. And that's obviously what you're going for, this idea that it's not just you that we're following, but it's your expertise that's guiding us through the country. Yeah, but mm. what, what do you do to compensate for the fact that that bumbling personality, that clueless person, is the stand-in for the average viewer? And that's what the average viewer wants to see. I kind of feel like the market for somebody who wants kind of more detailed, more informed content is narrower than the person who watches and goes, yeah, I agree. What is going on? This is crazy. Well, you're right, because often people will be watching these travel shows and will never go. This is the closest they'll ever get to to going to Japan. Mm, So both of you completely agree with both things. Yeah, exactly. To answer your point, Bobby, we kind of try to inject elements, moments of lightness throughout the show so it's not all heavy 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 serious talk but then we we make some jokes like about botatsu or whatever we make those jokes so that people kind of can hopefully latch on to something that is more relatable so we're trying to find those relatable moments like Mm. we're just talking about our experiences in a car like normal people there's that um but then yeah there is also that as you just said ollie there's also that element of people who are probably going i'm maybe never ever going to be able to get to in this case, Japan, maybe this is one way for me to understand it as best as I possibly can. So both of those things are true. Well, you said you focus on uh, local areas and local people. Um, I noticed you focus on things like local storytellers or local breweries, um, much more kind of Japan on a micro scale, uh, which seems to me, you know, everybody's wondering about what the future of tourism is going to look like in Japan. And a lot of people are advocating for sustainable tourism. 
um, your approach seems in line with sustainable tourism. Do you consider that when f filming your content? I would say yes, absolutely, but perhaps not in the sense that people think about sustainability. Mm. So sustainability, we often kind of think of as recycling and reusing things and so on. And we are looking at it more from a sustainable community perspective, I would say. So when I say that, I mean that we are trying to create better connections in terms of understanding with people so that people who maybe are thinking of coming to Japan in the future, for example, don't just drop themselves into a place and expect that they can just shout in English or whatever, but rather how do we embed people with a certain kind of cultural intelligence or a certain kind of cultural sensitivity that I think will create more sustainable opportunities and experiences when people travel in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's a sustainable approach in terms of, I think, cultural sensitivity, which is much harder to put like a data point on to assign, but something that I hope imbues people with that kind mm -hmm. of, oh, maybe I should not just try to smash my way into this situation kind of thing. Speaking of which, uh, we've mentioned a couple of times now that we've had a whole year and a half where you know, crews from outside are not being able to come in and produce their content. And now we've got people who are locally here on the ground that, that are kind of trying to fill that gap or, or as, as you're doing in your case, kind of supplying the demand for Japan content in their own way. In a purely career sense, do you think that there's a possibility that when the country reopens, will kind of these foreign production companies look at the content that was produced in the interim and go, oh, I can source people on the ground. Oh, I can go to this person for that. Oh, I can call Alicia for travel content. Oh, I think it's absolutely possible. Anybody who makes content anywhere and puts it on the internet, there's a possibility that they will be found and contacted, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, if your work has good reach, if your work is a match for what somebody is looking for, absolutely, I think that that's possible. So, yes, in a nutshell. With this in mind, I'm interested to know what analytics you're going to be looking at as you start releasing more episodes. Because I'm sure with your day job at English Pod, you're very data driven and you look at what the audience responds to and, and what they like. And that's something that mainstream television doesn't get hold of. So what, what for you will be will be successful and what are you going to be looking at in order to help shape the future of this series and, and any other projects you do? Oh, it's a huge question for sure, you know? But yes, we have you two are minutes right. left of the show. Good luck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That was not very nice. Um, no. Yes, you are correct. I love data. I love it so much. It's so wonderful. It tells us so many things. So I love it. But I also have to recognize, especially at the beginning of a project, data isn't everything. So we have to uh, really consider ourselves and our personal growth, what kind of personal growth both Erwin and I are expected to get from this. So there is that element to it, of course. But in terms of goals, we really want people to watch and engage and think. And we get a sense of that when people comment and when people share and when people follow along with the project, those kinds of things that are harder maybe to, well, we can quantify them in terms of the numbers that, that, that you know, mm. we see in the data and analytics and stuff like that. But we don't really, what we, we, we can't track is the emotional change that people are feeling. But I think that when we kind of start to resonate with somebody or we inspire a bit of a commitment to change in them or we inspire an interest in them to look into something a little bit further, that will be something really special. Mm. And some of the comments that we've already received have already indicated that people are really excited or they felt moved 
or excited by the project and they're looking for more. So I already actually feel like it's been a big success in that respect. And frankly, like I thought, I thought it would be great if a couple hundred people watched the first episode. That was going to be good for me because it's a totally unknown project that I've shared about a few times here and there on social media. But we have well over a thousand people looking at the first episode and uh, we've gotten so much good feedback. And so now we're actually in the process of organizing our shoot for episode two. I have a meeting tomorrow <laughs> to hopefully finalize everything for that. So we're just going to continue rolling forward and trying to improve based on the things that we learned from the previous episode. And actually, I'm, I'm very excited about kind of the, uh, the, the, the end result that will happen, that, that will kind of emerge after maybe 10 to 12 episodes are done. I think that we'll really start to see a really cool picture emerge. Yeah, well, we're placing bets on episode 12 will be just full on River Cruise content. It won't just be a passing shot. It will be the whole thing. I can't rule that out, but I'm not sure that everybody will stick around for like a 60 minute drone shot of a, of a boat. But I mean, you guys could try. You guys could put that on maybe a YouTube channel and let me know how it goes. You can uh, you can share your data and let us know. Challenge accepted. Great. Love it. Hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's 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 so interesting. You know, the world of content is so interesting. There's so much room to play and explore and see what kind of person you are and what kind of things that you can make. So, you know, you have to make something and just kind of see what it provokes in people. Yeah. And see how you feel about it and <laughs> what you want to do next. Well, there's the answer to why I stopped doing my YouTube channel. I was, I was uh, provoking mostly rage in old Japanese men. <laughs> Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 87 of Japan by River Cruise and a special thanks to those who continue to support us by being a monthly member for $5 a month. They get the show early, they get some bonus bits and they get a free ticket to our boat when we can finally afford one. We genuinely appreciate your support. Thank you very much to our guest this week, Alicia Ivalich. Alicia, we're looking forward to seeing where Elements of Japan goes next. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat with you guys. And if anybody wants to check out Elements of Japan, the first episode about Iwate is now up on youtube.com slash Elements of Japan. So check us out there and be ready for the next episode in Shizuoka. You can follow me and you can follow my teammate Erwin on social media as well. All the links are on YouTube. They're also in our notes. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.